Hey everyone, thanks for joining us at Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor and I'm one of the pastors here. In today's message, we're going to be talking about contracts or agreements. And most of us, at some point in our life or another, in fact, it could have just been in the last week, we had a bad experience with a contract or agreement. Maybe there are some terms and of fees that came out of nowhere, or maybe somebody just didn't deliver on the agreement we had established with them. Today, though, we're going to talk about a contract that is probably one of the best contracts that you and I ever have a chance to be a part of or sign up for, if you will. And so I hope that you will stick around to learn about what that is. All right, so today we start um, our third season, our final season, which is three, three Sundays of um, this series we've been doing all summer long called 15. It's 15 Sundays long. We're in the last three. Um, and essentially for this series, we've been asking the question or trying to answer the question, um, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And if, uh, if anywhere along the series you've kind of missed a Sunday or maybe you just are kind of coming in right in the middle, um, you can always go back and go to our website, infuse.church slash 15, and you can catch up on all uh, the messages that we've had so far, and I'll reference them a little bit along the way as uh, we go. Um, essentially just trying to answer this question that I think most of us have had, at least at some point in our lives, uh, maybe we've doubted uh, the answer to this question, maybe we've wondered the answer to the question, maybe we feel like our whole lives we've known the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Um, but I hope by the end of this, you'll have a better idea of who he is and what we kind of believe here at Infuse, all right? Um, now, show of hands, how many of you have ever had a bad experience with a contract? Anyone? A cell contract, dish contract, had somebody come over to work for you contract, and it didn't go very well, did it? I mean, out of nowhere, it just feels like uh, there are some hidden fees and uh, there's termination fees, or I didn't realize that the taxes and fees were not included, and that makes about a $20 difference a month kind of a deal. And you didn't know that, especially because they didn't tell you that to begin with, or they kind of just you know, faded off at the end and when they were explaining the whole contract and how much it cost. Maybe you were buying and selling a house. And uh, you thought it was going to be pretty simple, pretty easy. And then all of a sudden, there's all these little contracts or little clauses in there, amendments that you're going to have to deal with or fix, all because of that line that you missed. And it really changed um, how that house buying experience with, went for you. Um, we, we, I had an experience um, a, a once. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing when I won't go into it entirely. But essentially, um, I, I got suckered into to making a uh, purchase of some points to go to any destination I wanted to. Turns out you could only go like to five of the 105 destinations um, and uh, never make that mistake again. Uh, didn't even end up using the points, gave it to someone else because I realized I had entered into a bad um, contract. Maybe for some of you, you felt like lately uh, you, you uh, put your information into a website or signed up for something um, and then there was the terms and agreements. You know that big long document that you don't read and you scroll down to the bottom and you hit accept. You know that one? And then it feels like clockwork. The next day, you start getting three phone calls from various places around the United States, and you don't even know who it is. And it's like, wait a second, where did my information go? What did you just do with my phone number? And now you have to deal with telemarketers all day long. But it turns out in those terms and agreement, there was that little clause that said, oh, we can sell your information. And boy, that's certainly fun. For some of us, uh, we've entered into an agreement or a contract with someone and they didn't deliver. 
pretty plain and simple. Maybe it was fixing something, a repair of some sort, a purchase you've made, or maybe that's just your job making contracts, and um, it didn't go very well. Um, one of the things that I think we think of when we think of contracts or making deals, okay, and we see those big long documents or we see those terms of service, I don't know about you, but at least the first question in my mind is, what's the catch? What is the catch under all of these words that I don't understand? And you know that this is a problem because what this really means is it benefits you, the person who's making me sign the contract, and it's going to be at my expense, right? Isn't that what the catch is? It's always their benefit at my expense. Their benefit at my expense. Someone didn't hold up to their side of the agreement, right? And they twisted the meaning of something. You know, they said, oh, yeah, I read that, but I thought that meant this. And so now you have to deal with it. Right? I know I said $500, but that was just setup costs. So it's going to be another 1000 to finish the project. I know I said I'd be there by 5, but I hope 9.30 works. Right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. And it, and it always feels like at the end of the day, the person who's losing, the person who's paying, the person whose expense it's on is you and I. And it is not very fun. Now, I don't know about you, but any of those things that could, have, could happen in my future, have happened in my past when it comes to contract, kind of raise my blood pressure a little bit. Gets me a little frustrated. feels unfair. And so today, I want to essentially put before you, you don't have to like this contract, you don't have to believe in this contract, but I want to put before you a contract that is, in fact, I'm going to put two before you, uh, two of the most famous contracts in history. And most of us aren't very um, historical in the sense of we know uh, often a lot of contracts that have happened historically, but these two you may recognize, especially if you grew up in church. And you may not, even though you've heard of them, may not have realized that they were contracts. They were agreements. But they are oh so important, especially this first one, in talking about the second one and giving today the significance that it has. So today we're going to start our journey uh, about 32 to 3,500 years ago. We don't know the exact date. And it begins with a dramatic escape. In fact, movies have been made about this escape, um, where there was a group of people called Israelites, and they were going to leave Egypt after about 400 years of slavery, okay? And it is so dramatic, it's hard to believe sometimes. In fact, some of you, um, it involves um, insects and frogs and, and, and famous parting of a Red Sea. And for some of you, um, that has been a story you have loved, you've grown up with, um, and you remember fondly. And for others of you, um, it, it kind of, uh, you, you feel a little skeptical about it. In fact, for some of you, that may be part of the reason you kind of are skeptical about the whole Christian God thing, is because of the drama of this escape from Egypt. And if that's you, I just want to, before we go into this, acknowledge that it is somewhat hard to believe. But my ask of you today is, if that is you, that you don't let that entirely get in the way of what we're going to look at today, the significance of it, and, and what it could mean for you. 
So at the time, um, the Israelites were led by a famous guy. His name is Moses. You may have heard of him before. Movies made about him, too. Okay, and he goes to Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time, and he's trying to get his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, oh, let my people go. Anybody want to finish this? No, no. Oh, okay, wow, you guys do know. If you don't know what that was right there, you missed out on arguably the best part of Sunday school growing up, okay? The rest was kind of boring, coloring within the lines, but this, this is what you went for right here. This is a song, by the way, okay? But this is essentially what he went to. He went to Pharaoh and he said, Pharaoh, I need you to let God's people, God told me to ask you to let his people, his Israelites, go. And at first, Pharaoh said, no. And then a whole bunch of these um, miracles happened, uh, the, the frogs and the insects I was talking about. And then it comes to this famous moment, the defining moment of this escape, if you will, called Passover. And Passover was where uh, the Hebrew word for destruction is used. Destruction essentially passed over the land of Egypt and strike struck down all the firstborn children in the land of Egypt. And to Pharaoh, that was the last straw. And Pharaoh said, yes, you can take your people, leave. We never want to see you again. And so the Israelites and Moses finally get away and they are now free. And just like, I think some of us at least, just like some of us, when we left home, we were excited at the prospect of it. For sure. And maybe for like the first week or two of leaving home because we were finally free. And then we get into the freedom and we realize, oh my gosh, freedom costs something, i.e. bills that I now have to pay. And I have to make my own food now. Do you remember that transition? Some of you went off to college and you got like unlimited meal plans. That was pretty nice because it was like mom to the power of two. I mean, it was like, great. And then you left college, you realized you didn't have to cook for yourself. But one way or the other, freedom is not always the most free. You may be out from under your parents' authority, but there are catches to our freedom. And that's what the Israelites experienced in their first opportunity of freedom in 400 years. They got away and they had to figure out who they were and what they valued who they were and what they valued. And so Israel was trying to figure that out because all they knew was enslavement at the time. And God, Yahweh, said to them, hey, I'm going to, through Moses, hey, I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to make you an agreement. I'm going to make you a contract or what they knew, and if you read your Bibles, was called a covenant. I got you out of Egypt, God said. I got you out of Egypt. I will take care of you. In fact, I will make you a great nation, prosperous, in fact, if you follow the rules. If you follow the rules. And as every good parent knows, this is not going to go very well. Because you can promise your kids just about every food in the world, and somehow they seem to still mess it up and break the rules, don't they? And that's exactly what happened in the case of Israel. But you also know that you can't have a lawless, a ruleless household. Otherwise, things would just be straight chaos. And you may feel like your household is anyways, but it would be worse, is what I'm saying, okay? 
And God does the same thing. God says, I'm going to give you rules. I'm going to give you laws because I care about you. And if you mess up, if you do not follow the rules, I'm going to put you in adult timeout. Which is worse than kid timeout, by the way. Okay, if you've ever read the Bible, it's, it's much worse. So he gives them 600-some laws, um, which we talk about often here, including 10 really famous ones. We call them the Ten Commandments, okay? And those were those uh, rules in which to guide the nation on how they should live and how they should become a nation, a nation of law and order, and to prosper, all right? And so then you go through, um, and, and you can read the laws. You can go home and read the laws. It's like really, really boring, but I think it's worth at least one read through, um, but you go through that, and, and they go back and forth, got back and forth in obeying God's rules and not. Now, I want to read to you essentially the ending statement, if you would, the summary statement of God's agreement contract with his people. And I think, personally, it is a pretty incredible statement. I mean, especially if you think in terms of if you are a parent, thinking of that to your children, this is a pretty kind, loving statement. And we read it in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 30. And when you go home, I really encourage you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and read the whole thing for yourself. I'm just going to read a snippet for it for you. But essentially, God says to his people, his free people, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God. Now, in my opinion, he could have just stopped right there. Because if you are a Christian and you spend any time around Infuse, you know that this idea of loving God comes up a lot. In fact, it's one of the most important rules that Jesus said we should follow. And this is essentially what God is getting at. He's saying, hey, the first rule, the most important rule is to just love me. Just love me. And I'll love you too. In fact, I'll make you prosperous. I'll make you successful. So obey my commandments and love Okay? He continues. Walking in his ways, God's ways, observing his commandment, decrees, and his ordinances, and then you should live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But, he says, here's the catch. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, parents, any kids ever not heard you? Do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall perish. That's adult timeout, by the way. You shall perish. That's the agreement. That's what the brand new nation of Israel will be guided by. In fact, they'll be guided by this for the next 1,500 years, this agreement. And this will, when they follow it, lead them to prosperity. But when they don't, it will lead them to despair. And that's the rest of the Old Testament is Israel's following, not following, following, not following. That's how it goes. The other part of this is, and you may know this, is you call it the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. Testament is the Greek word for covenant. So when you read the first half of your Bible, it is the old contract, the old agreement, the old covenant. Now, the only time that this contract for the next 1,500 years of time is brought into question is by a guy, you may have also heard of him, um, and he's a prophet named Jeremiah, okay? So about 600 years after this prophecy, in about 600 AD, um, Jeremiah stands up and says, hey, I just got to let you guys know. 
I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen in your future, and I really think it's important, and you should pay, you should pay attention. And here's what he says about this covenant that God just made 600 years later. He, makes, he, he talks about it. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is talking for the Lord. When I will make a new covenant... A new agreement, a new contract with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Because at this time they were split. It's a big ordeal. They weren't listening. Big surprise there. Okay, so I'm going to make a new contract. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So he's saying, remember the old covenant? Remember when you got out of Egypt? Yeah, that's going away. A new one's coming. Because they broke my covenant... We're going to give you a new one. Though I was husband to them, essentially saying I was married to them. I cared for them. I loved them like a husband should love their wives, declares the Lord. So listen, guys. I gave you that first agreement, that first contract, but uh, y'all messed up. You messed up too many times, in fact. And so we're going to do a new version of this. But I'm not going to tell you when it's coming. But it will happen. And there is something unique about this new covenant. And I think this is so incredible, such a, a foreshadowing moment um, for what's to come. He, sa- he goes on, This covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And I will put my law in their minds and on their hearts. This is no longer going to be like a document. Like, here's a piece of paper, and if you want to be a part of this whole nation, here's what you have to follow, sign here at the bottom. This is going to be a matter of your minds and your hearts. And if you were here when we started this whole long series, 15, you'll remember that we realized right at the beginning that Jesus came for a number of reasons. But what he was most after, if you go back and watch the first couple episodes, he was most after your heart. And that's what Jeremiah, 600 years before Jesus, was saying. The new one is coming, and it's going to be a matter of mind, and it's going to be a matter of heart. Now, nothing happened with this. Jeremiah kind of put this out here. Nothing happened, so everybody just kind of forgot about it and moved on with their lives, as we so often do. In fact, generations and generations would go by before anything would change here. But things did change in about 30 AD, 630-odd years later. The covenant of God, Moses, the nation of Israel, was in place in 30 AD. That was the agreement they had 30 AD. Now, over the last 1,500 years, since Moses and since that first covenant, a lot had happened. Um, for example, and we talked about this a lot so far in the series, the law, those 600 some laws, had become um, more of a, of a tool for the religious leaders to use and to be empowered and enriched by, to protect themselves. It was used in that way far more than it was used to honor God or love God, for that matter. And the Jewish religious leaders at that time had used the law to justify their hatred of Jesus. And we talked about that in the last couple of weeks. If you remember, they said that Jesus was a lawbreaker because he didn't respect the Sabbath, letting his followers eat when they were hungry on the day of rest. I mean, what a cruel guy letting his followers eat when they were hungry. 
And he was merciful, Jesus was merciful to sinners and tax collectors whom they were not. Sinners, in their minds, did not need mercy. Tax collectors needed punishment, not compassion. And then Jesus would, went around and spouting over and over and over again about loving God and loving your neighbor. And who does that? It's so much easier not to. So religious leaders didn't like him too much. And they had leveraged the law for their benefit. Because everybody knows. Everybody knows that religion, religion, should be like entering a cell phone contract. A few months in, you get broadsided with fees and taxes you didn't know were there. And you can't get out very easy. And if you do get out, you're going to be shunned for the rest of your life. Because that's the greatness of religion. Everybody knows, right, that religion um, involves or will cost you. It will cost you some cold, hard cash. In some traditions, for example, if you want the church to forget your divorce, you're going to have to pay up, and it ain't going to be cheap. But we'll forget your divorce for the right price. Good religion, right? And everybody knows religion should pick and pull at certain ideas and doctrines and verses because that's really helpful and healthy for people. I mean, oh my gosh, you were baptized that way? I'm not sure it's going to stick. You should probably do it one more time just to be sure. Maybe twice if you're really questioning it. And for some of you, third time would be good, okay? <laughs> but that's religion, right? And it's such a good thing Christians don't do that, right? I mean, oh, come on. We wouldn't. Nah, because that's what the religious leaders did. They took the law and they made it about themselves, empowering and enriching themselves. And Jesus steps onto the pages of history and says, that's not okay. And Jesus pushes back. 1,500 years after Moses told the people of Israel the new contract they had with God, Jesus steps onto the pages with a whole new contract, a whole new agreement. And it wasn't just for the nation of Israel at the time. It was for the world. And I think it's a contract worth considering. In fact, it's a contract that very few of us have truly ever experienced or entered into. Maybe for some of you, you've done it once in your life. I'll explain what I mean by that. So about 30 AD, we're in 30 AD now, Jesus is on the pages of history. He's, he's going around preaching, ministering, and then it's coming to the end of his ministry, and it's Passover. This event that uh, we talked about last week. We talked about Passover last week. Um, and this was the time in which the temple in Jerusalem fell. It was Passover when the Roman army went in and threw the whole temple down, literally. That was Passover. And kind of in a weird turn of events, today's story, this moment, this incredible moment, also happens on Passover. Passover is the celebration of that moment in time when God passes over, the, uh, passes over Egypt and, and all of the, the Israelites who, who um, eat a, a special meal and take a blood of the lamb and put it over their doorframe were saved. 
And then they got to escape Israel, and it was really good for them. And so they celebrated every year since then, for 1,500 years, this moment of Passover and their freedom of, from Egypt and their new covenant with God. So in Passover, everybody goes to Jerusalem. We talked about this again last week. And people hear that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem too for Passover. And Jesus is so popular at this point. Everybody knows about Jesus. When Jesus goes places, massive crowds of people follow Jesus. In fact, at this point, people saw Jesus coming in Jerusalem, told everybody else, they all go to the streets, they get palm branches, and they throw it down at Jesus' feet and say and yell out the word, Hosanna, Hosanna. And for those of you who grew up in a fairly traditional church environment, you remember that as Palm Sunday. The religious leaders, while Jesus is doing this, are stressing out. Because here's the guy who at every turn seemed to thwart them. Here's the guy that went around preaching, love God and love your neighbor. Here's the guy that they quite, couldn't quite pin down or get out of their way. Here's the guy that they felt threatened by and felt like they had to get rid of. In fact, they were plotting to get rid of him. The problem was they couldn't get close to him because of the crowds and they didn't want to start a riot. But that day, they got really lucky. Because one of Jesus' disciples broke ranks, went to the religious leaders, his name was Judas, and said, for the right price, I will come and get you when Jesus is away from the crowds, so you can capture him. Do whatever you will with him. You can eliminate the problem. And Luke documents the story. And he said that they, the religious leaders, were delighted. They were delighted. Now, what I think is most interesting is their delight is probably one of the most ironic, while at the same time heartbreaking, parts of this whole story. Because they assumed, they feared, that Jesus was just like them. They feared and assumed, just like all of us do when we see a huge contract, when we see legal speak, we sit there and we look at it and we say, what's the catch? He wants something. What's the catch? Because he's a religious guy. We're religious people. We know how religious people think. They're just after power and influence and security. He, on the outside, looks like he's loving people. I mean, he helps people, he's kind to people, he forgives people, but on the inside, we're pretty sure that he's just like us, just wanting more control and wealth and empowerment to himself. And I think sometimes that's how the world looks at Christianity, especially the Western world. In fact, some of you may look at Christianity or have looked at Christianity in that same way. You looked at the church, you looked at God, you looked at Jesus, and all you saw was a group of people who simply wanted something from you. They wanted power, they wanted your money, they wanted control over your life to tell you how to live and how not to live. And you some of you, I don't know your stories, but some of you may have had good reasons to be skeptical, good reasons to be a little concerned. Just like the Jewish leaders were of Jesus as a religious person. You may have avoided Christianity altogether for that. But for a second, think about this. 
Who is Jesus? Well, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I want to ask you a question. What power did he need as the Son of God? Or another question, what authority did Jesus need as the Son of God? What wealth did he need as the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, what do you really need? I mean, religious leaders, let's be honest. What do you think Jesus needs from you? You think he wants your power as the Son of God? You think he wants his temple? I mean, if it is God's temple, then it's already Jesus's. I mean, if your reason for leaving Christianity, just in general, is because you think God wants something from you, God's fine. Really is. If God exists, he's got it all. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And that's what the religious leaders couldn't process. They couldn't process that Jesus could have come for you with no strings attached. And I think when we think religion, I think when we think Christianity, sometimes we fall victim to that way of thinking. That God's just after something. God just wants something. The church just wants something from you. And I'm not saying there aren't churches that do, but I'm just telling you right now, God is fine. He's not wanting something from you. He wants something for you, first and foremost. So Jesus, Jesus now, knowing that the religious leaders are after him, and, and all, all sorts of other things were, were happening at the time because it's Passover, so uh, Rome had sent a bunch of soldiers. Pontius Pilate was in town because they wanted to make sure nobody got out of hand or riots didn't start, got to keep the crowds down. Jesus, knowing this, finds this uh, house that's away from everything, that's secluded, that nobody's going to find them there, nobody's going to interrupt because Jesus has some things to say. And we're going to talk about one of them today and the other next Sunday. But today... We're going to talk about the meal that they had. Because Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem to take something. He came to give something. And so he gets into this house. His 12 disciples are around him. It's a quiet uh, Passover meal. And there's certain things that happened in the Passover meal. And the first thing that happened is there was eating of bread. And it was unleavened bread. And so Luke in chapter 22 documents what happened in this room. He said, and he, Jesus, took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, okay? So some of his disciples have the bread. Maybe some of them are chewing on it right now. They already, because they're hungry, I don't know. And then he goes on and he says, this is my body. To which any disciple that was eating some of it just probably stopped at that point. At least I would have. Like, what? What am I eating? This is my body given for you given for, for me. I'm so confused, Jesus. What, what did you just say that I'm eating? Jesus goes on, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance. To which all of them would say, Jesus, we know. We know what we're remembering. We don't have an issue with this. This is Passover, Jesus. Our, our nation has been doing this for 1,500 years. 
We know what this is. We always take unleavened bread, we break it, we share it, we celebrate Passover, the covenant between God and his people. We've been doing this since we were little boys, Jesus. Are you insinuating that this is no longer a meal about Passover? And you're insinuating that this is in remembrance of, of you, your body? Is that what you said, Jesus? Could you clarify that? Yes, Jesus would clarify that. Do this in remembrance of me. Of me. Okay, now they're really confused. Jesus, we're supposed to do this no longer because it's about God and his people. We're not doing that anymore. We're doing this about you. I mean, this is such a big deal. This is really wild. This would be like, best example I can think of, this would be like uh, at the end of November, I stand up here and I say, hey everyone, we're going to be doing something so new for December. In fact, we're rolling out new songs, all this stuff, because December is not going to be about Jesus' birthday anymore. It's going to be about Taylor's birthday. I mean, we're going to have new songs, brand new lyrics. They're going to be great. We're going we're gonna to roll out the red carpet. and, and on, 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 we're, not, we're not calling it Christmas Eve anymore. It's going to be Taylor's Eve, okay? And we're, I'll just sit up here, and you can all sing songs to me and all that, and it'll just be a great time. Now, if you do not leave the church, if I were to do that, there is something wrong. Because all of you should leave the church. In fact, I give you permission right now, if I ever do that, that you just leave. Because that's really, really weird. Okay? That's how weird it was for them. They're like, Jesus, okay, you've healed people. You've done some crazy things. You are an amazing teacher. Totally all with you on all that. But Passover, Jesus, that's like a line that... You don't cross, man. What's going on? And so the meal continues, and they're maybe like doing those side glances, like, what is going on here? And then after supper, in the same way, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup, to which they're all sitting there thinking to themselves, okay, I hope he doesn't mess this one up, because this is really, really clear. See, we have this wine, this cup, and it is a celebration of the blood that goes over the doorway, that God protected us and saved us, and he loves us, and our new covenant. I mean, can't mess this up, Jesus, so just give us the easy answer. Remind us that this is just a remembrance of Passover. And Jesus says, he doesn't say that. He says, this is the new covenant. To which maybe at this point, Jeremiah's words maybe stir somewhere in the back of their minds. That perhaps the old is passing away. And the new is coming. No more old covenant. We're talking new covenant. Jesus is establishing a new contract a new agreement between God, and not just with Israel, with the world. Now, real quick, I'm going to go through this really fast. There's going to be a test, tech, test next week, so you've got to pay attention. Just kidding, there's not. I just got to talk about old, old ancient covenants for just a second, because this is really important to understand what happens next. The first, there's three kinds of old um, ancient covenants, um, not just in religious circles, this is just in general. The first type of covenant that there is, is a bilateral parity treaty, okay? There will be a test. Just kidding, there's not a test. The bilateral parity treaty is essentially two equal individuals coming together in agreement of something. The best way to think about this is a business contract. If you pay, I'll deliver. If you pay, I'll deliver. We're equals working something out, okay? If you will, then I will. 
Make sense? If you don't pay, I'm not going to work. That kind of thing. The next one is a bilateral suzerain treaty or a bilateral suzerain vassal treaty. Suzerain is like a king. This is not equals coming together in agreement. This is the king talking to the vassal or the not king person, okay? This is, um, the closest thing to this is like a curfew, okay? When you give your kids curfew or you got curfew as a kid, all right, what, was, what were the rules? I'm the dad, you're the child, you better be home by 11. And for every 10 minutes that you're not home, something bad's going to happen, Okay? For at least 20 minutes more, okay? You know how this goes, okay? Because it was somebody in power over somebody who wasn't. The last one, and, th- and this, by the way, was the old covenant, okay? If you do it, God, I'm up here. I'm telling you you need to do this, and if you don't, you're in timeout. You got me? The last one is a promissory covenant. And this is so rare in our culture today. I think we struggle to understand the significance of this. This says... I promise to deliver no matter what. You don't have to do anything. You owe me nothing. It's unconditional. No strings attached. The burden to deliver is on me. I mean, could you imagine your bank coming to you this week and saying, you know what, I realize that this was maybe more of a bilateral treaty, or in fact, you probably feel more like it's a bilateral suzerain treaty, like we're the kings and you're just the little peons and we just take all your money. Okay, you may feel like it's this one, it's really that one. But imagine if the bank came to you and said, you know what, your mortgage, it's on us. You rest easy, we'll take care of it. Like forever? Yeah, forever. Okay. I mean, imagine... Husbands, imagine wives, your spouse coming to you and saying, no matter what, whether you do the dishes or not, whether you forget the eggs in the middle of me baking cookies, and I just literally asked you to just go get eggs, and you got all this other stuff, you didn't get eggs, I'm going to love you no matter what. I mean, imagine if that was your marriage. That's a promissory covenant. No matter what. I deliver. Back to Jesus and Passover. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Not our blood, not our sacrifice. In fact, you have to do nothing. I'm doing this for you. In fact, Matthew and, uh, and Paul would go a step further to clarify this and say, for the forgiveness of sin. You have to do nothing. And I will hold up my end of the bargain. Essentially, it's saying this. It's for you. It's on me. It's for you. It's on me. God was saying, it's for you, and it's on me. And hours later, Jesus would ratify this promissory covenant, this new covenant on a Roman cross. For you. (laughs) Can it really be that easy? I mean, where's the catch? There's no catch. 
There's no catch. God's fine. In fact, there is nothing that you can do that will make God better. God's fine. He's doing it for you. And it's on him. For you, on him. I just want to ask you, how many people have ever, for you, stepped in front of a punishment meant for you and took it totally on themselves? I mean, you see it in movies, maybe, TV shows, but real life? How many people have ever done that for you? I mean, can you count on one hand? Anybody? Who put that kind of a contract? You said, you know what? You don't have to do a thing. I'll take care of it. And I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. It's, it's for you. And it's on me. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no small print at the bottom. There's no small print on the back. Jesus dis, just did it for you and on him. In a world in which it is so common for us to experience someone not following through on their side of the contract. This is like kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? Hey, you know what? I'll just take care of it. You don't have to do a thing. It's for you. It's on me. It's for you. It's on me. In a world in which even the religious people try to enrich themselves or gain an upper hand or power or authority over you through contracts and agreements and guilt and shame, yet Jesus comes in and says, it's for you. It's on me. I don't need anything. I'm fine. It's just for you. It's on me. See, even in the midst, of, even given that God knows you perfectly, okay? I mean, and if you don't believe in God, I understand that. But, but just hypothetical for a second, if God really does exist and he knows you, I mean, if he's God, he probably has a good handle of who you are, and he knows what you've done, and even through that, he still sits there and he says, seeing you, even when people aren't watching you, you don't think anybody's watching you, and he knows he knows the deepest hurts, the deepest pains, the deepest insecurities, the deepest sin. He knows all that. And in spite of that, he still says, no, it's for you. It's on me. His response to your doubts and your questions are, ask away, totally fine. I just want you to know it's for you. It's on me. I don't know if you have or not, but, but I guess my hope my prayer is that you would take Jesus up on what probably is the most incredible contract that at least I've ever entered into. There's no signature line. There's no signature line. You don't sign yourself away, per se. All Jesus does, all Jesus does is he says, you know what, I'm here for you. It's on me. I just invite you to follow me. He said, well, isn't that like a caveat to, to it working per se? No, it works whether you want it to or not. It's completely up to you. God doesn't need something from you. He's fine. His invitation to you is just to follow him, to trust in him. And if you do, when you do, he will lead you to life. 
And he will follow through on that promise. At least I've experienced that. You may doubt. I understand if you do. But I'm just saying, from my perspective, he has followed through. And when we see baptisms, when we get to celebrate those moments, what I hear in people's lives is, I didn't expect him to be there, but then he was. I didn't really believe, but then he did. And I've decided to follow him. And you say, well, doesn't it cost you, Taylor? Like, doesn't it cost you to do things? It may feel like a cost on the front end because of how we think of the world, how we religiously see the world, but it's not really a cost. Because once you pay that price, I just believe, once you've let that go is maybe a better way of saying it, I think you will be better off at the end of the day. I think what you can experience in following Jesus, in putting your faith, your trust in a God that says, you know what, it's for you, it's on me, is peace. Yeah, but but God, what about that thing that I did at the one time in that spring break or that way I treated that person? Hey, it's for you on me. What if I'm not ready to follow? That's totally fine. The covenant is still there. The covenant does not change depending on what you do. It's still there. It's always there. It may take 10 years for you to decide. That's totally fine. It's still there. It's for you. It's on me. God isn't there to take something from you. He's there to give you something whenever you want to. It's for you. It's on me. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to take communion. We'll get you out of here. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I just I thank you um, uh, for an opportunity to at least hear these stories. Lord, they may be hard to believe. Uh, they may be um, something that we want to resist even. We want to be skeptical of. And, and that, Lord, we just got to be thankful that, that you're okay with that. That you're all right with our doubts and our worries and our fears. You're just saying, hey, I'm just extending an invitation. Extending an invitation for you to consider that I'm a God that is for you. And I'm going to take all of those things and put them on me. That's a contract that we don't experience very often in this world. I pray, Lord, that in the next few minutes as we receive communion, as, as we sing our next song called Sons and Daughters, that, that you would at least open our hearts to the idea that when you look at us, our Father in Heaven, that we would maybe come to the understanding, the realization, the acceptance that we are just your children. Just as for some of us, we look at our children and are so thankful and grateful and we love them completely, that that's how you look at us. And because you looked at us in that way, you said, you know what? There's some issues here but I'm going to take them on me because I love them. That we would realize that as sons and daughters of you, we are loved and cared for by you. That you would open our hearts, our minds, as Jeremiah said, to that possibility, that potential. Lord, we thank you for these opportunities, this opportunity to to hear it at least, to consider it at least. And to remember, for those of us who have decided to follow you,
In your name I pray.